what a week. I was um, conflicted all week long as I was supposed to be on vacation this week, of course. I mentioned all that. I mentioned that all to you. Um, and, and, in, and in some regards, you know, vacation was, like I said, not me going anywhere, but just the feeling a sense of permission to take a mental and emotional break from ministry and work and all that that entails. But it's, um, I think, been quite difficult for anyone to take any kind of emotional or mental or spiritual break with uh, what we're experiencing in the world and what we're experiencing here in our country. And um, I've watched as people have been criticized for not saying something. And I've watched um, as people have been criticized for what they've said. And whatever you think about saying something or not saying something or whose role um, it is to say what or to say when, I think that we can all agree that this is a very sad time. That there is, that I am, I am, I, I, I am very sad over what we're, what I'm seeing and what um, is happening. Uh, there's also anger, being angry, and being frustrated. Some of that frustration is at myself. Some of that anger is at myself. Some of that sadness is with myself. But what we have witnessed um, in, or, or all of those things, I should say, all of those emotions, are they come bubbling up when you witness something like a, what was a senseless, a senseless killing. Um, the ensuing violence that came on the heels of protest for injustice. Um, I am sad and I am angry and I am frustrated over um, the continual rationalization of violence, the rationalization um, and excusing of um, injustice towards uh, people of color. Um, to angry, sad, frustrated about um, the way that we, and by we, I, I will speak for myself, um, have consistently and even systematically delegitimized the experience of black brothers and sisters and how they have experienced the world and experienced the culture and experienced um, what for them has been significant injustice. I've done my best throughout the week to try to not say much because in a way I don't know what I'm talking about. For me to talk about racism 
would be um, an, an implicit, um, or it would be really an, an, an implicit uh, statement of understanding. <laughs> like, let me tell you what I think about racism. But the reality is, is that as a white middle class guy who has lived in the same county or area for his entire life, which is a predominantly white area, I really have no real idea what racism is. I know the definition of it. I know some examples of it. But my perspective is so incredibly limited by the life that I have lived. It would be similar to someone taking an experience that was central to your life and saying that they understand all of the ins and outs of it because they um, saw a Facebook post about it or a YouTube video or know a friend of a friend who has this, right? Like, do I have any real perspective or understanding about what it's like to be a single parent? No, I don't. So for me to say that it is either easy or hard or this or that about something that I have never experienced is would be me talking out of ignorance. I don't want to talk out of ignorance. I don't want to say to my my black friends, my brothers and sisters who I love like so much, I don't want to say to them, you know, do you really experience racism? Is it really a thing? I mean, I don't think, like, maybe in other parts of the world, but not really here. I don't, I don't, I don't think that I'm particularly more privileged than you are, right? Because I have no idea what it's like for them. And maybe that's part of the problem, is that we do so much talking. We just talk and talk and talk, and we babble and we babble and we babble, and we try to make sense out of what we feel or to prove our positions or to assert our opinions. And we think that because we we have been given the right of free speech that we should do so with no real concern for the place um, the place where our words come from, right? The origin of our words or for the damage that our words really do. Well, I have freedom of speech, so I can say what I think about this and I can post what I think about that and I have opinions and I have ideas. And maybe we forget in the midst of our constant babble and talking that the most unjust moment in history. Jesus went to the cross not posting his opinions, not proving his point, not asserting his position, 
but simply with his mouth closed. It's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic to think about how Jesus embraced the violence of the cross, the violence of crucifixion, in order to bring peace. Peace to you, peace to me, peace to everyone. I think, and it's my conjecture, my opinion, that we would all do well to just stop. Stop our incessant need to explain. Stop our incessant need to rationalize, to justify. Stop our incessant need to win the argument at all costs, no matter what we say and who we hurt. To make sure that our opinion, which is usually um, fairly poorly developed, and instead, stop and listen. Maybe listen first to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit of God that calls out the darkness in each of us, that calls out the anger in each of us, that calls out the pain in each of us, that calls out the injustice in each of us. And who speaks life in light and love into us. And perhaps when we're done listening to the still, small voice of the Spirit, we begin to listen to others. We begin to listen to the way that others have experienced the world, how others have experienced the culture, how others have experienced the community or the church and maybe instead of listening to respond, we would listen to understand. Thinking about how we're going to respond or react to this thing that they said or that thing that they said or the next thing that they said, maybe we would just choose for a moment to keep our words silent and our ears open. Our spirits receptive to what God wants to speak into our lives through a brother or a sister. I started preparing for this sermon by writing down all of the things that I did know and all of the things that I didn't know. Um, both of those lists, one of those lists was a lot longer than the other. I'll let you decide which one. But I want, I want to talk about a few things that I do know this morning. The first is this. It is not anti-gospel. It is not a side or, or um, secondary issue to talk about the evil 
and the reality of racism. It is not somehow a distraction from what is truly important to talk about how racism is real and racism is evil. At its fundamental core, I believe that racism represents the fundamental devaluing of a person's sacred worth. Every person, black, brown, white. We sing that song in um, uh, Sunday school um, about all the little children of the world, right? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That song encapsulates all that is true about the statement that racism is the fundamental devaluing of a person's worth. By saying that because of a, the color of a person's skin that they are less than someone else, that they are unequal to, that they are not deserving of, that they are worse than a person who looks differently than they are. But when God created each person with his own fingerprint, with his own breath, he created them all precious. He created them all sacred, not with a hierarchy of looks, not with a hierarchy of color, not with a hierarchy of sacredness, but all on an evil, even playing field of sacred. There's this old saying that I, um, you guys all know that I don't like Christian cliches. That's something I talk about all the time. I think it's ridiculous, but this particular one is maybe a cliche saying, but it's a true saying, is that um, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I mean, before Jesus, before God, our creator, there are no hierarchies. There are no establishments of importance based on the way you look or what neighborhood you were, um, you grew up in or what economic status you had or where you were born or any of that. And I will say this. And I will say it with all of the confidence of the authority of the scripture of God is that when we see people being devalued because of their skin color, it is our duty and responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to confront that injustice and fight for their sacred worth.
This is what Jesus did with the Samaritan. This is what Jesus did with the leper. This is what Jesus did with the woman at the well. This is what Jesus did with Nicodemus. All of these people who, whose contexts and whose world said that they were less than, than they were worse than, than they were unequal to, that they were not deserving of each and every one, we see the example of Jesus not supporting the hierarchy that human beings place on others, but tearing down the walls that we place in our world to separate the haves and the have-nots and reaching out in grace in gentleness, in compassion to people of all races, all colors, all genders, all backgrounds, all economic status, saying, when you stand before me, you stand before me as a person of sacred worth. Created by God, loved by God, Jesus as a person that Jesus died for, as a person that Jesus is pursuing, as a person that you and I are responsible for protecting. There are been many, um, many times uh, in the last week or so where I have either heard or seen people either post or write or say that they want to, they want peace. But we, why, we just want peace. Why can't we experience peace? Why can't everyone just be peaceful? One of the most famous passages in the Gospels is in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, a group of, um, there's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jesus has all of these sayings, these eight sayings, where he says, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth and so on and so forth. And then we get down to verse 9 in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, verse 9, and Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. We would do well to recognize that there is a fairly significant difference between Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the peace wanters. Uh, 
It is the peacemakers who are the children of God. Those who go out in the midst of violence, those who go out in the midst of injustice, those who go out where the sacred worth of others is challenged. And instead of just wanting peace, instead of just desiring to keep peace, we go out to make peace. And the question then becomes, how will you and I make peace? How will we pursue not just the wanting of peace and justice, but the making of peace and justice? Am I willing to see the injustice that lies in my own part, in my own heart, as a part of the problem? Am I willing to embrace a posture of humility so significantly that I would ask the Lord to reveal any ways that I have supported systems, patterns, or attitudes of injustice towards people that don't look like, act like, talk like me? Will you fight injustice in order to make peace? Will you listen more and talk less? I wore this shirt today because um, I once again felt like we needed reminded. It's not wrong to look for solutions um, to the problem of racism, to the evil of racism. It's not wrong to look for solutions from a policy level or a politics level or a law enforcement level or a cultural level. Or It's not wrong to fight for those things. It's not, it's not wrong to fight against what may or may not be um, unjust systems or patterns or policies. And I would encourage that. But to think that politics will change the trajectory of racism, to think that um, you know, if we just get enough conspiracy theorists to post odd articles on Facebook exposing the, the latest flood of um, racist ideas, anti-racist ideas, that that is somehow going to fix it. To think that somehow the media is going to um, just kind of you know, collectively, um, collectively save its own soul and then lead us into an era of uh, racial harmony is not true. The only thing that changes this is the gospel. 
The only thing that changes this is the work of Jesus Christ. But not just the gospel in theory and not just the gospel of Jesus Christ in theory, but the incarnated gospel of women and men of all colors, of all backgrounds, of all ages, of all places, collectively standing up to make peace, not just want peace. It is the gospel that will change the darkest examples of human society into the most life-giving examples. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul's life and example is like, is like the perfect example. You think about his life, all right? Think about how um, in um, the beginning chapters, I think it's chapter 6 of the book of Acts, that the Apostle Paul is um, standing there giving approval to the execution of the first martyr of the New Testament church, a guy by the name of Stephen. And how he was approving of this execution because of Stephen's insistence that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the Jewish nation, the Savior of the world. And that Paul was on a... Uh, campaign backed by um, backed by those who were in power, backed by those who were in control of the uh, of the of the Jewish nation, those who were in control of the Roman Empire, and he his his quest to root out Christians and and eliminate them was legitimized by um, the the oppressive regimes that were that were in existence at that time. And then in the book, in the ninth chapter of Acts, we see that the man who was the murderous, murderous antagonist of the Christian church in the first century was encountered by the living Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ in all of his glory and was subsequently changed. Not slightly, not a little bit, didn't just become a better person, but whose very heart was transformed in that moment that it was Paul's encounter with Jesus Christ that changed his life forever. And that how Paul went from someone who was breathing out, the Bible says, murderous threats and plans against the Christian church to coining these words in the letter to the Galatians when he says this in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 
You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then he says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and you are heirs according to his promise. Paul's acts were certainly prejudicial towards Christians. Prejudicial towards those who believed differently, who acted differently, who lived differently. They were so prejudicial that he went about murdering and executing and approving of the slaughter of those who were different. And it wasn't until a radical encounter with Jesus Christ that his life was changed. And he went from a person of murder to a person of inclusion. It is not often that I have been without words. And I know that my I did have some things to say. But I am relatively without words. One, because of the sadness and because of the anger and because of the frustration. But I am also without words because I am becoming so keenly aware of what I do not know about this issue. And that breaks my heart. Because I have brothers and sisters of color who I could have been advocating for, who uh, I could have been supporting, who, who I could have been listening to and believing and standing up for and proclaiming justice for, for a lifetime. But until now, I haven't. I was talking with a, um, a friend of mine this week, uh, uh, a black friend of mine this week, and I said, I'm, I'm both embarrassed that this is becoming, that it's becoming so important to me now, I am both embarrassed that it hasn't been more important before, and I am also grateful that God is using at least this experience, however horrific it may be, that God is using this experience to speak into my life about the sacredness of others. <clears throat> and about how there is tremendous responsibility for the people of God to proclaim the sacred worth of all people. Conduit, my, my conduit family, 
my, my prayer for us, my hope for us, my deepest desire for us, is that we would not see ourselves as a people needing to hold so tightly to what we have believed for so long that we refuse to listen to those who are different. We do not know what other people have experienced, just as other people do not know what we have experienced. But what we can do is we can offer we can offer ourselves as humble people people who uh, who are humble and desire to hear the legitimate life experience of our black sisters and brothers so that we might better understand any injustice that they have experienced and we might more and we might we might might respond in a more Christ-like manner by um, proclaiming and defending their sacredness as our as part of our family and as part of God's chosen children. I understand that there is also um, so much opportunity for divisiveness, for division in this conversation. And in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the attempts of the enemy to place a wedge of division in in this church over this issue. But that, but that we might all heed the leading of the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, uh, speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts your wisdom, your truth, your, your word, that we might rightly and faithfully uh, reflect, represent, um, and advocate true kingdom living, true Jesus living. Um, you know, Conduit, I'm going to close with this. Uh, that I've been uh, going live on Thursday nights um, with um, usually a follow-up to the sermon from this from the week previous. Um, um, I want you to know that this coming this coming Thursday, uh, Facebook Live uh, is going to be a, kind of a special edition. Um, and I, I, I hope that you will commit to watching it and being a part of it. Um, I'm committing myself to better understanding of the experiences of my black brothers and sisters, even as they have 
attended here at Conduit and has a of experienced life um, in general here. Um, and that conversation on Thursday is not going to just be me. There'll be some other people. <laughs> there'll be some other people with us. And uh, and I hope true conduit style will be having uh, some really raw and honest uh, conversations with each other, dialogue, open dialogue, listening to each other, uh, talking less, listening more, um, being being willing to hear where the Holy Spirit is moving and changing and speaking to each of us. So I hope you'll um, I hope you will uh, tune in with us on Thursday night. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll move on from here. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your the gift of your truth to us. Lord, we pray in sadness, in anger, in frustration over all that we're seeing over all that is uh, being unfolded before our eyes. And Lord, we pray that you would um, that you would change our hearts. That you would point out the evil in each one of us, Lord, that as we surrender our own darkness to you as we surrender it there at the foot of the cross, Lord, that that we might be changed just as Paul was changed. Father, we pray for an end to needless and senseless violence. Lord, we pray um, for an end to um, r racist systems of injustice that continue to oppress people of color in our country. Lord, and we repent for times and places where we have laughed at the inappropriate joke, where we have not said something when we should have said something, when we have not advocated, when we have not stood up for, when we have not been a voice. Lord, forgive us. Change us, Lord, and make your church, make your church into an unstoppable force in the cry for justice, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we will see you next week where we will start on the series uh, called Intervention. Take care.